Thank you. Let us stand, and if you have a pew Bible, grab your pew Bible. And uh, here at Bel Air, we have a tradition. And after we read the word out loud, I will say, this is the word of God. And you will say, thanks be to God. God has a word for us today. And I want to thank the worship team for these great songs that uh, we have worshiped the Lord in. And especially being from the South, it's great to hear some good bluegrass gospel. So, (laughs) glory. Turn with me in your Bibles to page 922 to Romans chapter 12. Page 922, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us read together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thanks be to God for his holy word. This is the word of God. John Calvin, for some, he's a person they love to death. For others, they hate him to death. What about you? Let me ask you a question. How many here know who John Calvin is? Well, there's a good number, but there's a good number that don't know. And hopefully you'll be impressed with one of the fathers of the Presbyterian faith today. Who was John Calvin? Why is he so important to the church, especially to us Presbyterians? What did Calvin believe? And how and what can we learn from Calvin's life today to impact us and help us at Bel Air make Los Angeles the greatest city for Christ? Well, I hope to answer some of these questions this morning for you. John Calvin was born July 10th, 1509, 500 years ago. So why are Presbyterians around the world celebrating this old man's birthday? I mean, come on, he's 500 years. Well, I'm glad you asked. Calvin has directly and indirectly impacted the church and nations throughout the world over these 500 years. Some would say that Calvin is one of the most brilliant theologians and pastors in church history. Pastor Mark and the other pastors have done an excellent job teaching us the significance of the church through each century and how we, listen, how we can learn from our brothers and sisters from the past for the very purpose of making a difference in the present and in our future. Amen? Recently, Pastor Mark has taught us about the 16th century in the great reformation of the church and the pivotal point in the history of the church in the world. We've learned about the major catalyst of the reformation, Martin Luther. We've learned a little bit about Zwingli and some about John Calvin. And although we're taking a quick step back in our series, go back to the 16th century to learn about Calvin, Pastor Mark has taught us the major fundamentals of the Protestant Reformation teaching known as the five solas. And I want us to review those briefly. 
And as we come to learn more about John Calvin, the five solas were all foundational for his life in ministry. The first sola is sola scriptura, scripture alone, the authority and supremacy of scripture. The reformers, including Calvin, came to realize that the scriptures are the the word of God and that this is what we should build our life on. That the authority of life and practice is founded in the word of God, not in the authority of the church. And that was radical back then. Very similar today. The word of God is being pushed aside for popular psychology. And the Lord wants us to get back to sola scriptura. The second sola is solus Christus. Christ alone. The only way to salvation is through Christ, not through the church. Not through doing certain works that the church tells you to do, but falling before the mercy seat of God and relying on the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection. Christ alone was foundational to the teachings of the Reformers. The third is sola gratia, Grace alone. Grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And grace is God's unmerited favor. It's nothing that we can do. And the reformers, including Calvin, held to this truth. The fourth is sola fide. Faith alone. Faith alone. The means of appropriation of salvation is through the gift of faith that the Holy Spirit gives each one To receive the work of Christ on the cross. To receive the forgiveness of sin. And to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, the fifth, soli deo gloria. Glory to God alone. The purpose of living, according to the reformers, and according to the Westminster Confession, the purpose of living is to glorify God with our entire life, with all of our gifts, all of our resources, to glorify God in all that we say and do. And as we've discovered Martin Luther and Zwingli, along with many others, such as Martin Bootser, Calvin's mentor, and others of the first-generation reformers, the, these reformers laid the foundation of the five solas. But it was John Calvin and the second generation reformers that built upon these five solas. It was Calvin that used uh, the word of God and to teach on these five solas in which he clarified and expounded them so that we come to understand sound theology with the power of the spirit and the grace of God. So John Calvin built upon the foundation, but he expounded that in his works and in his life and teaching. So who was John Calvin and what did he believe? Well, I'm glad you asked. When I was teaching in seminary, I taught a course on the Reformation, a 10-week course, and spent three of those lectures on John Calvin and what he believed. And so for the next nine hours, we're going to be talking about John Calvin and learning uh, what he believes so you can go home and say, yes, I know Calvin now. 
You see, this morning, we could learn a lot of facts and statistics about this great man of the 16th century. Statistics such as he was a Frenchman, born in Noyen, France. That he was educated in philosophy, theology, law, and humanism in Paris, Orleans, and Bourges. That he was suddenly converted, we don't know the exact date, between 1533 and 1534. That he pastored and helped reform the city-state of Geneva for uh, a year and a half, 1536 to 1538, and was expelled because he refused to serve communion to the city officials because they were trying to control the church instead of the pastors. And then he went to Strasbourg to pastor. And then for some reason, in 1541, he returned to Geneva. And we'll learn more about that in a moment. I could tell you more facts that he was married in 1540 to a widow that had two children. He, he had a child his own, but that child died at, at birth or shortly after birth. His wife died in 1549, and he grieved his heart because his helpmate for life was taken. In 1536, John Calvin wrote the first edition of the great Christian Institutes, the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Now, the title is too long for for me to read here, but the first edition was about 250 pages. The final edition is four books, about 1,200 pages. So he, he did this. But this is foundational in understanding who Calvin is and understanding our Presbyterian heritage. I could continue on that in 1553, Calvin participated in the execution of an heretic, Michael Servetus, who was burned at the stake in Geneva. And this murderous act has plagued Calvin ever since. But did you know that he preached over 4,000 sermons? Five different sermons a week. He also taught four, three to four lectures a week on top of that. He wrote a commentary on almost every book of the Bible. And numerous tracts and theological treaties. And thousands, actually 11 volumes of letters. And along with all the teaching and writing that this man was doing and pastoring, he was very sickly. He suffered from kidney and gallstones, suffered from gout, intestinal disease, arthritis, asthma, intense headaches, and other ailments that I'm not going to go and bore you about. And finally, in 1564, May 27th, he went to be with the Lord. But going over all these facts and statistics would be boring and really not reveal much about John Calvin. And there's really not time to really get into his theology today, although I'll share a little bit of of that with you. For example, uh, Calvin is so much more than the doctrine of predestination. I mean, he taught that, but that was not the foundation of his life and teaching. It's been distorted in many ways as well. Calvin's focus was truly on the five solas. Especially the glory of God, which includes the wonderful doctrine of the sovereignty of Almighty God. Many of the songs we worshiped, sang and worship today are about the glory of God and the worship of God. 
And Calvin's heart was to always glorify God and to let people understand that the massive, glorious King of kings and the Lord of lords, so other that you couldn't really know him once and wanted to come to know you in an intimate way. He was an excellent expositor of Scripture as revealed in his sermons and more so in his commentaries, in which he laid the foundation for modern biblical exposition. Exposition. And as one reads and study Calvin, studies Calvin's, one realizes that he is known as a theologian of the Holy Spirit. Who knew that? You think he's just a boring old chap. He loved God. And he, he, he wrote more about the Holy Spirit in his writings than any other reformer. Because he, he began to understand through the revelation of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit not just did not only preserve the universe, was a part of the creation. Not creation, but created the universe. This same Holy Spirit comes down and convicts us of sin, draws us, brings us to repentance, reveals to us our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, gives us the gift of faith, brings us into faith, and then fills us with many gifts to give back to Him. Calvin writes so much about the Holy Spirit that I did my Ph.D. on that topic. And I could talk and talk for hours on it, but I won't. Calvin believed that God was involved in all aspects of life. In government, the sciences, the arts, philosophy, education, family, every sphere of life, God was involved And it was the believer's responsibility to use his gifts or her gifts to transform his or her area of influence. Pastor Kim expounded on this some last week. So when we read his foundational works, the Institutes, we discover his theological concepts that he believed were biblically based and extremely insightful and thorough dealing with the major issues of the 16th century. However, in just touching on a minute portion of his beliefs and teachings, I believe we discover the heart of John Calvin when we reveal his motto and his seal. Let me just pause for a second. Most people don't have a life verse or a life motto or a seal. And I want to encourage you. This day to really seek the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, show me what is the life verse? What is that verse that I can build my life upon for me, for my family? And then, Lord, give me a motto, a life motto. Recently, last year in in, uh, Maria's uh, second grade, we had to. She had a project and we had to make a family crest and put a family motto. And it was wonderful to pray about it as a family, to talk about it, and then write a family motto out. Well, what is your motto? And then what is a seal, a a crest, 
us from the Presbyterian and, and uh, Scottish and English background, we love our heritage and we have our crests and, you know, it's the shield and it has usually a sword and a flag and all these wonderful things that show strength. But we also have that motto. Well, what is yours? If you don't have one, I want to challenge you, encourage you to ask the Lord, give me a verse. My life verse is Philippians 3, 10 through 14. And it's changed my life. And it's kept me grounded and rooted even when I have gone through some very difficult times. Well, we get to know people through their life verses. We get to know people through their mottos and their, their seals. And in Calvin's time, Calvin had a powerful motto. My heart I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Another motto attributed to him was very similar. Promptly and sincerely in the service to God. And his seal, as one Calvin scholar described it, Calvin's wholehearted commitment to God was symbolized in his seal he adopted for himself. A flaming heart and the palm of an extended hand offered up to Almighty God. My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. You learn a lot about a man, a person that wants to offer his whole being to the creator of the universe. One scholar said that this wholehearted commitment to God was symbolized in the seal, a flaming heart on the palm, an extended open hand with his model, my heart I give you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. He continues and says, that became for Calvin more than a seal, more than a motto. It set the direction for the rest of his life. Whoa. Think about it. Calvin's heart was for the Lord and for ministry. Both mottos and his seal reveal Calvin's love and passion for God and his intensity to serve him no matter what. Now when his students, some of his students and close friends came to Calvin near the end of his life, Calvin was deathly ill. They said, slow down, stop, you need to rest. Calvin exclaimed, what? Would you have the Lord find me idle when he comes? Whoa. Now, no question in studying Calvin, he was a workaholic. <laughs> and he needed to learn to take a break and a Sabbath rest and a vacation once in a while. But he had a heart for God. And he wanted to serve him in every way, in every inch of his fiber, in every minute of the day. His motto leads us to the scripture today. Turn with me once again to Romans chapter 12, page 922. And as you turn there, let's go back a verse to chapter 11. Verse 36. Just follow along. Paul states, For from him and through him, he's talking about Jesus Christ, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
Paul is ending a very deep teaching about Israel and about the church and and where where Gentiles stand. And he comes down for the glory of God in all things for the glory of God. And then he moves right into chapter 12 and he says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me ask you a question. Who desires to know the will of God for your life? We all, we all do. We all desire. Well, here it is right here. His perfect, good, and acceptable will is a living sacrifice. It's you. It's you. For the glory of God. He wants you to come to him today. He wants you to give as Calvin's motto and seal. He wants you to give your heart to him with an open hand, not a closed fist. He wants us to worship him. How? With ourselves on the altar. Now, what does that mean in this day and age? Well, turn with me just a few pages over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 929 in your pew Bible. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 6. Paul states, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Or do you not know that your body, listen, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit Within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own. Say with me, I am not my own. That's what, that's what the word says. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, here's the word again, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Now, in this passage in 1 Corinthians... The context is the the believers in Corinth believe they are totally free from sin as well as the body or the flesh really has no true value. And so they can continue to to have sex outside of marriage and they can can uh, do some just some very impure things that was a, a detriment to their witness. And so Paul is addressing several issues to the Corinthians and this was one of them. Immorality. Sexual immorality in the church. And so he addresses them by saying, wait a second, time out, people. Listen, when you came to Christ, yes, he forgave you of your sins. He created you a new creation in Christ. You're a new person in Christ. But understand that the body is not evil. There was that teaching that was going through the church that the body and the flesh was evil. And so you can do anything with it. It was just the spirit that was good. And so he's saying, ah, your whole being has been transformed, created for God. Not only that, that you are now, because you've come to Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. 
Think about this. Now, in the 21st century, is there really much change? We see in this century, all everything is about me. When Mary Beth and I moved to California, to L.A., boy, our eyes were opened. <laughs> Whoa! Me, 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 me. Everything is about me. How do I look? Is my hair in place? You know, do I have the right clothes? Do I drive the right car? Do I live in the right area? I mean, we were embarrassed to say when we we moved here, we lived in Reseda. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Now we've moved to Encino now. You know, it's all about self-gratification today, isn't it? Even in the church. My daughter and I were watching Finding Nemo recently. And there's a scene with all these seagulls. And they're just going, mine, 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 mine. And it is. It's mine, 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 mine. It's all about me. And unfortunately, many Christians have been influenced In this way of thinking and living. And Paul addresses this in these verses. What does it mean we are not our own? We are not our own. When we've come to Christ, we've repented of our sins. We've turned to receive salvation. To receive forgiveness. And to come in personal, intimate relationship with the loving Father. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. How dare we, Paul is saying to the Corinthians. How dare you Corinthians. Now throw that aside and live any way you want. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. Peter in 1 Peter declares it this way. You weren't bought. With silver and gold. You were bought with the precious blood. As of the lamb. The blood of Jesus Christ. We're not our own. And in this society that we live in. It is all about me. It's a hard teaching. But it's life-giving. It's life-giving. If we as a church and you and I as individuals truly want to make L.A. the greatest city for Christ, we need to grasp this truth that in Christ, through His death and resurrection, we are not our own, but we are God's. And we are to serve Him in all that we do for the glory of God. Because we are His. And we are His holy temple. Think about that. The creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. Loves you and me so much. That He sent His Son to die for our sins. Our faults. Our hurts. Our pains. So that we may be made clean. Forgiven. Come into relationship. And think about this. And then make His home in our heart. 
How dare we say, I'm going to do my own thing. It grieves God. He loves you too much to let you stay where you are. He's calling a church like Bel Air to a higher calling. So that we can change L.A. and make it the greatest city for Christ. We are not our own. We are God's. We are the Lord's. John Calvin in in his Institutes, book 3, book 3, chapter 7, entitles The Sum of the Christian Life, The Denial of Ourself. The Sum of the Christian Life, The Denial of Ourselves. His subtitle of this chapter, Christian Philosophy of Unworldliness and Self-Denial, We Are Not Our Own, We Are God's. We are not our own master, he says, but we belong to God. Let me just read a little bit from from the Institutes. I printed it out here. Even though the law of the Lord provides the finest and best disposed method of ordering a man's life, it seemed good to the heavenly teacher to shape his people by an even more explicit plan to that rule which he had set forth in the law. Here, then, is the beginning of this plan. Here's the plan. The will of God. The duty of believers is to present their bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. Romans 12.1 From this is derived the basis of the exhortation that we... That they be not conformed to the fashion of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of their minds... So that they may prove what the will of God is. Now the great thing is this. We are consecrated and dedicated to God in order that we may thereafter think, speak, meditate and do nothing except for his glory. For a sacred thing may not be applied to profane uses without marked injury to him. And this is what I love this part. This preaches. If we then are not our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, but the Lord's, it is clear what error we must flee and whither we must direct all the acts of our life. Calvin states, we are not our own. Let not our reason or our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own, he states. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us according to the flesh. We are not our own, he states. In so far as we can, let us therefore forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are the Lord's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are the Lord's. Let his wisdom and will therefore rule all our actions. We are the Lord's, Calvin states. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal. Oh, Calvin says, oh, how much has that man profited who, having been taught that he is not his own, has taken away dominion and rule from his own reason that he may yield it to Almighty God. Wow. We're not our own, Calvin says. Paul says, we are consecrated to God. For God's use. 
And being a living sacrifice doesn't mean that we give up all the gifts and all the talents and all the resources to the work of God. But that we sacrifice, we give them in a living sacrifice. Why? So that He can fill us with fresh gifts. He can sanctify those gifts. He can use those gifts for His glory to impact the sphere of influence that you work in. Whether you're an actor or behind the camera, a director, a business person, a housewife, wherever you are, as you sacrifice yourself and offer yourself to the Lord, He then pours out life and life more abundantly in you so that you can be a shining star, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, so that you can show the love and light of God to a dying and dead world. It's not to take away your gifts. It's to empower your gifts. We are not our own. We are the Lord's. And that was Calvin's life. I wish I could go in more detail to show you how he surrendered. He wanted to be a scholar and sit in a rented room and just write. But instead he was arrested in his steps by God. And became one of the greatest pastors and theologians in, in the history of the church. Because he was not his own. So, what does this relate to me? How do I respond to this? I believe if we as a church and as individuals are going to make L.A. the greatest city for Christ. And have a true impact on our world. We must surrender all to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Calvin tried to live. Are we living for ourselves or are we offering our lives as a holy sacrifice of worship to a risen Savior in every area of our life? Do we see our relationship with God as what can God do for me? Or do we see our relationship as we are not our own? Lord, use me. What is our response to the word of God today? What is the Holy Spirit quickening in your heart and mind today about your life? Will you come afresh to the Lord and surrender your acting, your directing, your your business, your family, your resources to the Lord? Listen, as I said before, He doesn't want to take them away from you. He wants to receive your offerings and cherish them. And make you more like Him to change the world. He wants to give you fresh dreams and gifts. And use your talents and resources for His glory. So whose are you today? Are you the world's? Are you your own man or woman? Are you the Lord's? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Come into my life. I'm yours. (laughs) And if you know the Lord, and maybe you've 
been sidetracked by the things of the world. Today, God wants you to surrender all again. He loves you. He has a passion for you. And He wants to change all of us more into His image and allow the temple of the Holy Spirit to stay pure and holy for His work through you. Whose are you today? Father, I thank you for these saints of God. And we thank you for the wonderful life of John Calvin, all the the scars and the pimples, but also the, the heart of the man that had a passion to know you and to make you known. Lord, help each one of us examine our hearts and lives to know where we stand before you. May your grace and mercy flood our soul. May you give us a a life motto, a life verse, even a, a picture of a seal that reveals who we are in Christ. Lord, most of all, use us, each one, to help make L.A. the greatest city for Christ. For your glory, in the name of Jesus, and all the saints say, Amen. 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 Thank you, Daniel.